Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 54. Welcome to RestaurantUnstoppable.com. Listen to successful restaurant professionals as they discuss the tools, tactics, and services they use to better lead, manage, and market their restaurants. Join our community and make your restaurant dreams unstoppable. Here's your host, Eric Cacciatore. Yo, what's going on, all you unstoppable restaurant professionals? It's me, your host, Eric Cacciatore, and this is the podcast for personal growth in the restaurant industry, and we do that by listening to some of the industry's most successful restaurant professionals. They tell us their stories, we learn from their stories, and we apply their advice in our everyday lives. I have a great show for you today, but I just wanted to remind you to... Subscribe to my podcast if you haven't already on Stitcher Radio and iTunes. It's as easy as hitting subscribe, and uh, if you do, you won't miss a single episode or learning experience from one of these incredible guests that I have on the show. And if you want to support my cause of you know just learning from all these great people and helping spread the word, you can do that by leaving me a five-star review. It really helps with the rankings and uh, getting the word out and sharing this content with everybody in our industry so we can grow together and become better restaurant professionals. That's all I have to share. Here's today's show. Enjoy it. Allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Chef Matt Gordon. Chef, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are you, Eric? I am terrific. Are you ready to drop some bombs of knowledge on us? Well, I'll do my best for sure. (laughs) I can't wait. Uh, Let me just give a quick introduction, Chef, and then I'll pass it over to you to kind of uh, elaborate. Chef Matt is the chef owner of Urban Solace, Solace the Moonlight Lounge, and Sea and Smoke. It could be said that he is known for his sustainable comfort food that is free of artificial ingredients. Uh, Chef Gordon's personal accolades include 50 People to Watch by San Diego Magazine, 40 Under 40 by San Diego Metropolitan, and Best Chef by San Diego Downtown News. That's a pretty awesome record you got going there, Chef. Uh, Do you care to elaborate and kind of tell us how you got into the industry and how you got to where you are today? Well, you know, it's, uh, it's a longer story than we probably have time for, but I think the short version is I started cooking uh, in, in high school, my freshman year of high school, actually at a fast food restaurant, and all through high school and college, it's what I did to make money, and I am one of those people who doesn't know what he wants to do for a living still, so <laughs> it's what I've been doing this whole time, and uh, I figured at a certain point it was time to start doing it for myself. So I still don't know what I want to do with my life, but I'm having a good time doing what I'm doing now. Awesome. Is there any one point where you just knew that this was the industry for you and it, it kind of just came clear um, and you knew that you were going to pursue it uh, or did it just gradually happen? No, I think um, I can remember a very specific moment and, and it is, I think, fairly unusual for someone in a, in a chef career, but I was already the executive chef at a restaurant, uh, I think, when I realized that I was doing what maybe I'm meant to do or what I'm at least very good at doing and enjoy. Um, so I think I was about 26 or 7 before I, I realized that I was already in the career I wanted to be in, you know, at least for a good portion of my life. So that's uh, that moment was where I stopped wondering what else was out there and focused on this. Quickly take us through the time when you decided to kind of go off on your own and open your own uh, locations. Well, I think uh, like many entrepreneurs, I don't really think I was a very good employee for other people. Um, you know, 
guys like us want to do things our way. And, you know, when you work for someone else, that's really not what it's about. So um, I think when I was, again, about 26 or 7, when I decided that this would be the career, I set a, a timeline for myself that, you know, 35 was kind of the goal uh, to open a restaurant and, uh, you know, put it on the table and see if I could do it without other people around and above me. And um, so I actually hit that target, and I opened Urban Solid in 2007, uh, a couple months after my 35th birthday. So Awesome. And, you know, it's that, that challenge you talk about, you know, of uh, not really being great, like, at working with for other people is so true, and I think you just have to remind yourself that all the, when you're working for these other people, it's uh, a learning opportunity, and try to stick with it until right. you're ready to you know break off on your own. Thank you for sharing that story with us, Chef. And I like to start each interview off with a success or leadership quote or mantra that you apply in your everyday life. You know, I I have a few different like one-liners that we use in the kitchen or in the restaurant. You know, uh, someone. Someone recently pointed out that one of them is used in a Harry Potter movie, so no correlation to it. But constant vigilance is something that um, you know, we say to our staff. We have it painted on the wall of the kitchen in one of the restaurants. You can't turn away for a moment. You have to touch and see and look at every detail every day, all day long, or things really aren't going to go all the way the way they should. Mm-hmm. So that constant vigilance is a big part of what we do. The other side of it is, though, a lot of people who work for me spend more time with me than they do with their families or more time in our restaurants than they do away from the restaurant. So you better have fun being at work. So we really do. I don't have a court necessarily, but the goal really is that even though you're going to be grinding away for eight hours, nine hours, whatever it may be, that you enjoy what you're doing, that the environment isn't torturous. We usually have music going in the mm-hmm. kitchen because we want people to enjoy their day. And it's hard work. We have very high standards, and we are very demanding for our staff, both front of the house and back of the house. But at the end of the day, we don't want people walking out, you know, super relieved to be leaving the building. We want them to be, you know, thrilled with the day they had and ready to come back tomorrow. Awesome, awesome advice. Do you have any tips for us to kind of to be able to – you know, reset yourself and to remind yourself uh, to try to have fun with it. Is there anything that you do or any advice you have for that? You know, I'm, I'm the music thing is big for me. I, I really love music. I'm always either listening to it or thinking about it, uh, just sort of as background stuff. So I really I find it great to have the ability for guys to put on their iPod or you know, gals pop in a CD here and there and keep the keep the kitchen lively front of the house we just i just try to have fun you know yeah. i spend a lot of time actually in the dining room on the floor dressed up like a manager um and i think the fun there is that you get to interact with people and every different table has a different story and i challenge servers and managers to kind of try to find out something about each table where they're from are they visiting town san diego gets a lot of tourist business you know uh, it's the first time at the restaurant do they get recommended do they live in the area so some tables don't want to talk to you, but mm-hmm. almost every table really is willing to interact. Uh, I did a manager shift last night up at my restaurant in Encinitas, and you know nobody knows I'm the owner or the chef, which is great because I'm just wearing street clothes. And I had so much fun just walking around the room, talking to people, answering questions about some of the in- unique products we use. Uh, it's just exciting because we're educating people. We're getting our hooks in them a little bit because we're having a personal interaction. Awesome. All great advice. Uh, be happy, uh, have fun, interact with your guests, and just you know educate. All those things that you said are just really all valuable advice. Thank you for sharing it all, Chef. Um, the That's next, good. yeah, the the next question I have for you, Chef, 
is uh, on the topic of you. Um, what do you think your it factor is? What personal characteristics do you possess that you believe contribute to your success? You know, I realized fairly recently, within probably four months, the last four months or so, I, I think the one thing that has kept me going, I've been in the industry now for really like 27 years. It's a long time. Um, the thing that keeps me going every day is that I am truly, at core, an optimistic person and a happy person. And if you're not optimistic about things and if you're not generally kind of happy, this isn't the business for you because you are going to get the crap beat out of you all the time. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So you have, you have to be able to weather that storm. One of my, uh, one of my colleagues calls it the ironclad heart of hospitality. You have to be able to take the beating and still smile and still want to go back to that table or want to go back and cook that dish over again when they didn't like it and do it with love and pride and happiness and all those other things. So I think maintaining optimism is a big thing. There, you know, In our pre-talk, you mentioned service. Regardless of my background in the industry as a chef or cooking or food-related or the whole sort of unique product line of, of sustainability and naturally that I think we possess here in our restaurants, Nothing matters more than the experience of a guest. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if you have the best couples in the world or hand pasture raised grass fed beef that got to listen to Enya all night long before it was killed. If you don't do it right, if you can't make the customer happy by the way you serve it and by the way it's seasoned and it tastes and looks good, it doesn't matter if you're doing it. Yeah, I'm sure we'll dive deeper into that topic as the interview goes on. Uh, But I just want to dig a little bit deeper on this question. You talk about your core ability just to be happy and to be optimistic. And what's really unique about uh, people in general, we're the only mammals that have the ability to choose how we're going to feel. So when you have a bad experience and uh, things aren't going great, um, what advice do you have for us to kind of to reset and just to remind yourself to, to be happy and to uh, to stay positive? Do you have any advice or any tools you use or any kind of uh, a mentality well, that you'd like to share? I have a few things, you know, and and from the personal perspective, a when you when someone's not happy about something in your restaurant, and you know this is generally when people stop being optimistic or turn unhappy is when a guest is difficult or something's not going right. You have to be honest with yourself. If someone returns something, you have to put yourself in their shoes. You have to empathize with them and wonder what it is that you could do differently to make this thing better. And, you you know, it's a real easy reaction just to say, that's a perfect medium where I don't know what they're talking about. Or, mm-hmm. no, that's not too salty. But the reality is everybody has a different palate. Everybody has a different perception of comfort. You have to empathize with people. And we are in the service industry, so our whole thing is about other people. So... Being able to be honest with yourself and not defensive is a very good start because the more we defend our actions, the more we tend to become less optimistic about other people because we're always right and they're always wrong. Mm -hmm. So maintaining empathy is a very sort of core value for me and for my guests because when you do have to interface with people who may not all be friendly, you have to have that ability to kind of see where they're coming from. Mm -hmm. They may be, you know, your diner might be coming from a funeral and you just think they're being mean to you. Yeah. you know, you can't always just assume it's, it's about you. The next question I have for you, Chef, can you share with us your favorite, like, restaurant experience, whether it's in your own restaurant or at another restaurant? Uh, take us to the moment. Take us to the story where one of these experiences where you learn something, or maybe it's just a funny story um, that reminds you why you love this industry so much. Can you think of an experience? 
Absolutely. I tell the same story basically to every uh, front of the house employee that we hire, and it may almost be cliche at this point, but it was uh, early 2002, maybe 2003, I can't remember which year, and I went and dined at a restaurant for the first time um, called Gramercy Tavern, which I know you probably all your listeners are familiar with, but back then I wasn't really that familiar with uh, Danny Meyer. I didn't really know who he was at all, actually. Mm-hmm. And what I tell my servers is, Still to this day, now it's 12 or 13 years later, I remember that as my, the best dinner I ever ate. But I returned my entree, and I didn't order anything else. Okay. I returned the food because it wasn't really very good. The reality is we ordered about 20 other things that were so fantastic that the one thing that I had on my – it was a pancetta wrap monkfish with braised red cabbage that, – that didn't do it for me, but – from the greeting at the host stand to the drink we had at the bar first, where we almost decided to cancel our reservation and just stay at the bar because we were having so much fun with the bartender, to the service during that meal, to the manager who handled the situation with the dish going back, to the attention they gave us trying to pair some new cocktails with our desserts that night. It was overall, I, I really had never experienced service like that in a restaurant at that point in my life. And I was still, you know, in my 20s at that point. And I remember being so blown away that it didn't matter that one of the dishes wasn't good. In fact, it was the least important thing of the night. It just happened to be the entree I ordered. But overall, every single facet of that experience, other than that one dish, was so amazing that I left that dinner going, someone really gets this. This isn't mm-hmm. about what, you know, it's not the art of the chef that makes the restaurant. It's the environment, the scenery, the decor, the music, the interactions with people, most of all. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you do all those things, you sort of get you get some points to earn. You get to you get away with a dish that maybe didn't work out as well. And I don't want and I'm not trying to say it's good to have a dish that doesn't work out very well. But in that instance, I had what is still one of the best dining experiences of my life. And there was a, a dish that wasn't good. That's, so that's the, that's the power of hospitality. Yeah, that's such an incredible story, and uh, it just. You know, a great example of how uh, paying attention and just knocking all the details out of the park and just being so strong in other fields other than food can really help your restaurant. And I'm curious, how did they handle that situation when you returned their food? I'm because cu- because Danny Myers and all of his restaurants are so well known for handling things well. I'm curious, how did they handle it? You know, again, I didn't even know who Danny Meyer was by name at this point in time. Yeah, um, but I, I think a you know, me being in the industry, I wasn't really offended by the fact that the uh, you know the fish was sort of sour and mushy. It was the fact that everything else tasted so great that I, I was almost like, don't worry about it, really, it's fine. You know, I know it happened. Um, and they were just super apologetic and friendly. And, I, you know, I think it's awkward when someone says they don't want something else because it generally in my restaurants would mean they're not happy and they mm-hmm. don't want to deal with it now. But I really, it became so inconsequential and... You know, one of the one of our dining companions was sort of unfamiliar with different spirits and different uh, digestives and whatnot, and they spent so much time talking to our table, explaining different things as we finished our meal and went to the dessert course. It's just about the personal interaction. We had a great personal interaction numerous times throughout that night, and that's what made the dining experience. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that, Chef. Uh, the next question I have for you is on the topic of hospitality. Um, so, you know, Obviously, we, like we said, we need good food, we need good service, but we need to take it a step further. And uh, what does hospitality mean to you? Well, I mean, this is the hospitality industry, and there's. I had a conversation with my management team last week. There are people, you know, there's people who 
whose art is so pure that it really is about the art form. You know, maybe I have never dined at Alinea. I really hope to uh, someday soon. But, I, I, you know, my understanding, my impression is that the art form is so pure there that you don't go there for the service. I'm sure the service is fantastic, but you're there for a very specific reason. If you were going to fly to Spain and go to El Bulli before it closed, you went there not for the service. You mm -hmm. went because you were going to experience this majestic art form in its purest, you know, of the moment thing. But most restaurants aren't like that. Mine's not like that. I think our food is really damn good, but you don't come just for the food. Mm -hmm. You come because it's a fun place and there's live music on Sundays or it looks cool or it's a neighborhood you haven't been to. So you really have to think about that whole package. And as, as chefs have sort of transitioned from blue collar job to a food network, you know, fame thing that started 10 years ago, it's, it has changed our industry a little bit. So you have, uh, you know, a PR machine that will put, put chefs up and restaurants that aren't ready to be in the spotlight sometimes, yeah. including my own sometimes, up there. And then it, it makes it really hard to, to do things right because you don't have that sort of time to gain your feet and gain your ground and create the personality of the restaurants and, and develop a staff beyond just having great plates. Awesome. Right. Yeah. All great advice. And can you just bring us to a moment, Chef, uh, where either you or one of your uh, team members displayed hospitality to either one another or to a guest or to a, your community or to a supplier or an investor? Can you just think of any moment and share it with us? Uh, I mean, I, I can think of 100 moments a day where I witness it happening. You know, we really do try to foster this culture. This is that, that server, that bartender, that host, this, the server assistant or buster, whatever you want to call it, every interaction they have with somebody is a moment of truth. It's mm -hmm. a moment where they're either going to, someone walks into the door of a restaurant, if the host doesn't smile and say hi, you, you've lost a point. And you've lost a lot of points probably because it's going to set the tone for the email. So I watch very closely when servers, I mean, when guests walk into the restaurant to see the host's reaction. If they're on the phone, great. The hosts are on the phone. Make eye contact, give them a smile, give them a little wave, tell them to be off in a second. Mm -hmm. It's just acknowledging people's existence. That's a very big part of it. And, you know, one of the things that we also talk to our hosts and staff about when we're hiring is in the few times over the years we've been open that I've gotten an email from a guest who was so upset with their experience that they wanted to reach out to me personally, almost every single time it starts with the front desk was rude or I didn't, they didn't make eye contact and ignored me for a minute. Or asked me if they had a reservation, and when I said I didn't, you know, I got a reaction that didn't make me feel good. I, I truly feel like we sort of set the tone for the experience the minute that door opens. I have a restaurant that has valet parking, but it's not controlled by me. It's owned by someone else, and it's hired for this whole shopping mm -hmm. center. And I had to really watch the valet people, because if you're coming to my restaurant, the first interaction you have with my perceived staff are those valet guys. Yeah. So I had to ask them to change how they were doing things, even though they don't work for me, because people that were seeing them first, that was their first interaction with their dining experience, was people who were going to take the car away from them. And so we did some training with them to really open up their eyes a little bit to the hospitality side of things. We're in the service industry. That has its roots in the word servant, and we yeah. are here to serve. Exactly. And so I think it, I was starting out, and I got off topic a little bit by saying that there's people who, who can pull off the art form thing. There's some places here in town that are just so cool, so hip, and really well put together and have really great products, 
that they don't have to worry so much if they please everybody. Mm-hmm. And I'm not that, I'm not, I can't pull that off. Other people can pull that off. Yeah. I can't pull that off. So we really strive to just be authentic, hospitable. We really watch our guests' dining experience as subtly as possible so that we can look for the indications of displeasure, whether it's, you know, pushing food around with a fork or, you know, trying to, uh, you know, trying to make it seem as if they've eaten everything without actually eating anything. Are they shifting in the chair a lot? All those cues that we look for so we can try to intervene if necessary to make sure everyone has the best experience possible. Great advice. Thank you, Chef, for sharing all that with us. Very valuable. Um, What was the challenge you had getting started in the industry? You know, I I spent the first six years or so, uh, you know, all of high school with the exception of one job and and my first couple years of college doing, you know, working in pretty basic places, uh, you know, pizza places and bars and things like that. Um, And I I was really uh, lucky to be in the right place at the right time a couple of times and get sort of the jump over into more, uh, more traditional kitchens and cooking. Um, and I really attribute that to just people I worked with and for that were that helped me transition over and gave me opportunities to try something new. I moved to San Francisco when I was about 25, and, and I came from a, a pretty small town um, in Arizona. And it was definitely hard for me to find a job <laughs> that I yeah. wanted to find mm-hmm. because no one really cared about where I came from. I never went to culinary school. I just worked uh, through that. So it was it was interesting to transition to that big city and obviously have nobody know anything about anywhere I'd ever worked. But I got lucky again with sort of the right place, right time, and found a good job and had fun doing it. So I think the biggest challenge was opening a restaurant, of course, um, and choosing to do it in 2007 when the economy (laughs) was basically falling, you know, off a cliff. But we managed to squeak together the cash and do a pretty low-budget restaurant and uh, have been living that way ever since. (laughs) So what advice do you have to somebody out there who maybe is looking to open their restaurant, like, how did you overcome this challenge? Like, what quick well, pieces of advice can I, you give? I think one of the things that did allow me to excel through my career, you know, as sous chef and executive chef, uh, was that I took, I, I'm, I was never really great in school, yeah. but I've always been interested in math. And okay. looking at the financial side of a restaurant, understanding the just, it's really more logic than math, to be honest with you, because logic will lead you to math. But understanding what the implications is of over-portioning fish or having an extra guy in the kitchen or not controlling how many towels get used on a daily basis, those all have implications that generally cause restaurants to fail, mm-hmm. cause restaurants to fail, because those are the things that you know you spend money on. So I think early in my career I took sort of a keen uh, interest in understanding the impact of all the stuff that walks in the back door and all the stuff that either goes out to the guests or into the trash can and and how those things balance out in such a minimal profit margin type of situation. Um, so I think anybody that really wants a restaurant, you have to really understand the money side of the restaurant. Absolutely. It doesn't, you know, and it, it doesn't matter how great a cook you are or how great you are with guests. If you don't understand the money side, you will not survive. And that's why our restaurant, our, our industry has the most skewed statistics in the world. The failure rate is so high because so many people think they can open a restaurant. Mm-hmm. They don't really have an understanding of the financial side, the hourly commitment. I think I worked 95 hours last week, oh, and I'm seven, I'm seven years in. So yeah, and that's, it, that's why you have to be happy with what you do, because if you're not happy working 95 hours a week, then you're what are you doing it for? So. Right. So we're going to jump into the knowledge bombs now. This is where you just drop some big old bombs of knowledge. It's meant to be a little bit faster paced. Um, and 
let me know if you're ready to start. I am ready. All right, let's do it. Uh, employee retention is one of the biggest challenges in the industry. So what advice do you have to find good people and to keep them around? Well, I think it starts with hiring the right people in the first place. And we're not always that good at that. We have a very high expectation and very high standard. We give servers a quiz before they ever interview with us, and a lot of them walk away from that. But sometimes we make exceptions based on people's personalities. And sometimes that bites us in the butt because we do have a certain level of knowledge that if you don't have, you're not going to survive with. So I think retention really does have to focus on hiring the right person in the first place. That's just setting yourself up for success. Mm-hmm. And then the working environment obviously has to be a place, like I mentioned at the beginning of the interview, where people want to be there. They don't, they're not dreading coming to work and, and running home. All right, awesome. Um, the next question I have for you, Chef, is what is one restaurant book, uh, website, or maybe a magazine that you would suggest as an incredible resource and a must-read? Interesting. Um, I think... It, in, as I've gone through my career, I sort of rely less and less on outside information because I really do strive, you know, sort of for authenticity or originality. But I think having uh, someone gave me, as probably in 05, uh, you know, Danny Meyer book, and that was when I sort of put two and two together. You know, this, this isn't, it wasn't just a fluke dining experience that I had on that one visit to Gramercy Tavern. This is how this person, you know, this philosophy runs. So, um, I think I think that was setting the table, and I read it and thought, yeah, this is. I don't necessarily agree with all of the principles of it, but you know, just the focus on hospitality, you know, sort of overcoming every other facet of the restaurant. Really, uh, people have to get that. They mm-hmm. have to believe that to do uh, this. And again, some people pull it off without it, uh, just because of the art form. But I think at the core, it's it lifts the industry when people when when we all focus on hospitality like that. Awesome, and that is an incredible book. So, yeah, thank you for sharing it. Let me take this opportunity to remind you, if you have not listened to or read Setting the Table by Danny Myers, it's not too late. Just go over to www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash 54, and you can find the links in the show notes, or head over to audibletrial.com slash unstoppable for your free audio version of this book. You won't regret it, and uh, did I mention it's free? So what are you waiting for? Get over there and pick it up. The next question I have for you, Chef, is on the topic of uh, innovation or innovators that are in the industry, can you think of any current innovations or innovators that really have your attention and that you'd like to share with us? You know, it's interesting. Um I'm in my early 40s, and when I started out as a sous chef, you know, the Internet was pretty brand new. I think we maybe used email once or twice a month just to send something to somebody. Um, so, you know, I did. I came up in this business without a lot of the online side of things, but, but always with Excel and Word and, and that kind of stuff. But so much of our, our vendors are moving towards online, you know, ordering. And within all that, there's data. And there's so much data that I don't know what to do with it at this point in time. But I'm really excited about the, you know, what's on the horizon for our industry in terms of streamlining financials and in terms of, you know, computers generating reports that say, dude, you order the same three things every other day, every week for the whole last year. Don't bother placing the order anymore. It's just going to show up. Yeah. Just some, of the, some of the automation that should, I'm assuming, occur as this data becomes useful to people, 
Um, and I know it's been happening for a very long time, but the you know the more that I'm overseeing three restaurants and looking at you know how to effectively run a business as opposed to maybe effectively run a shift like you do when you're a chef, um, you know I'm just I'm I'm look, looking forward to these tools streamlining my job so that I can spend more time cooking or you know just being with guests on the floor and less time looking at mountains and mountains of data and making sure that I'm watching everything. Awesome. Um, are you? Um, well, this is kind of a perfect segue into the next question, so I might as well just uh, ask it now. Um, mm-hmm. Are there any products or services coming into the market today uh, that you are currently using at, at one of your three restaurants that you would like to give a completely objective review on for us right now? In, you know, I make things very hard on myself. Our, our purchasing, uh, I'll tell you a little anecdote. You can tell me if it's too long or you want to cut it out, but... You know, every week I sign the checks that we mail out for our bills that we pay. Mm-hmm. And last week I lined the checks up on the bar. And for food only, there was 41 of them. Now, lots of restaurants write two or three shift checks a week for food. Okay. That means, you know, they got a big box purveyor that brings in a good portion of their produce, all their disposables, all their grocery items, some of their meat items, blah, 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 blah. All right. I, have, I buy tomatoes from a tomato farmer. I buy lettuces from a lettuce farmer. I buy eggs from an egg farmer. I buy some meat from specific people and some meat from a meat company. I buy one type of fish from one person and fish from another company. Um, and so I've kind of gone the opposite way of technology or innovation because if you are a type of restaurant, and I'm not saying you shouldn't be, it's just what we've chosen not to be, if you're the type of restaurant that is using uh, you know, a Cisco or U.S. Foods for a good portion of your product, the ability to streamline, automate, and, you know, control and track and all of their technology is really incredible now. Mm-hmm. I just have sort of chosen to go the other way. I buy sodas from a guy who makes sodas. I don't buy them from, you know, a big purveyor that drops off pallets of things. So um, product-wise, I would say in your question, you said product or technology or service. For me, we have really spent, you know, the first couple of years we were open – separating out the product line from, A, what most restaurants use, and almost everything that we're talking about when I, when I talk about this are things that we had to convince people to stop for us because it was all stuff you had a special order or just over, order, you know, over the phone from some guy in Minnesota that would send it in the mail. Mm-hmm. Um, because we really did look, A, for products. You mentioned it briefly at the beginning. It sounds sort of cliche. It's not about organic. It's not about, you know, the, the hippie grass-fed farmer that massages the cows every night. We looked for things that we felt were the best possible product, safest possible product, and didn't have any extraneous crap in them. And this all started when our first daughter was born, who's now nine, and she wasn't feeding very well. The doctor gave us a can of formula, and I looked at the label on that thing and just about crap my pants. Corn syrup, corn syrup, salt, xanthan gum, 15 other chemicals I couldn't explain. No real food at all. Yeah. And I started to look around, even in my own refrigerator at home, and you think Lee and Perrin, it's been around for years. It's a wonderful thing. Well, when you look at the gallon jug that comes into a restaurant, it's got crap in it that it doesn't need to have. Yeah. Lots of things have crap in them they don't need to have. So we, we went on a mission to eliminate all of that stuff. So I, you know, I don't make everything from scratch. We still buy a Worcestershire sauce, but it's Robbie's or a natural Worcestershire, and it doesn't have any modified wheat gluten or other Yep. You know, sorbic, sorbate, salabababadab stuff in it. Um, and it's really not that hard in the kitchen, but when you own a bar, 
that's when you realize, holy cow, nothing is real out there. Yeah, None of those scary. flavored vodkas, roses, lime, grenadines, cherries, and all that stuff is made with chemicals and crap and coal tar and food coloring that's made from coal tar. And so we spent a lot of time and effort eliminating all of that. But at the end of the day, much like I said earlier in the interview, you come in the door, it doesn't matter if, if we do all that, if the service and the food isn't great. So if we don't do it as a gimmick. We don't really even talk about it that much. You know, it's sort of secondary to how we run the restaurant. It's imperative that we do it for our own selves, but it's not imperative for our guests because what's imperative for them is that they enjoy their experience, whether it's the product they really want or not. Awesome. Um, I think you're the first person that uh, suggested uh, actual physical, like the, the food, the the resources that you get from your your purveyors as the. Uh, I, I, the is that what you're saying? Am I hearing you right? Is the that you would recommend well, the the I, we, we challenged we challenged our vendors to go out and find us real food. Yeah, and that was a hard thing to do. And. You know, one of, one of the things that I also talk about in training with our staff is, you know, when we first opened seven years ago, I used to say, really, about 90% of the people that come into our restaurant don't care about that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, and 10% probably do. It's a made-up number, but that's just my gut feeling. Yeah. And I think that that's skewed a little differently these days. I think it's probably more like 50 or 60% don't care about that stuff. Okay. But what we talk, what we talk about in training is, you know, if you are the kind of person that's just as happy going down to Fridays or Chili's and having a burger – and your friends drag you here, and you pay thirteen fifty for a Nyman Ranch hamburger with a homemade smoked tomato jam, a homemade aioli sauce, a artisan egg bun made by a bakery about four blocks away from here, hand-cut fries, double fried, and smoked sea salt and clarified butter. Man, you're, you're making butter, me hungry, Ed. <laughs> right? <laughs> the only thing that matters is that you eat that and go, holy crap, you're right, that was great doesn't matter if it's Nyman Ranch beef or grass-fed beef or all those other great things that we do if you don't enjoy the burger. So mm-hmm. our goal is always, number one, that you enjoy it, whether you care about the resources that we use or not. If you did love it, well, then maybe we've got a conversation, and we can say, hey, did you know? Check this out. We buy this from there. It's great. They do this, blah, blah, blah. And we can win people over into our way of thinking a little bit that way. Awesome. Well, oh, that was deep, man. Thanks for sharing all that with us. Uh, a really interesting perspective, and uh, I sure. found a lot of value in it, so thank you. Um, the next question is, Jeff, what is your best business advice for someone getting started in the industry? Oh, man. Uh, don't do it. <laughs> no. Um, no, I think, you know, people always ask me, uh, you know, we have cooks that say they want to open restaurants or young, younger people who want to be chefs because they've made great lasagnas at home, that kind of thing. I think you, most people I tell, if you really love cooking, it probably really isn't the business for you because you're not going to really love cooking that long. You're going to get real tired of doing that over and over, or you're not going to get to cook that much if you really get up the ladder. So I think you have to really want to be in the hospitality business if you're going to do this, and you have to understand the commitment and mm-hmm. you know the hourly weeks that we talked about and being broke and you know, borrowing money to pay bills and living on credit cards and all the things that come with opening a small business. Um, pretty, it's pretty rare that people just hit it right out of the gate. So yeah. uh, if you really want to do this, you better be the person that has to do this. No, so I, such great advice. Happen. Yeah, and it kind of reminds me, um, you know, why I love – I used to think I love food. And I, I do love food. I guess you could say I love food like a brother. But my true passion is making people happy. 
Um, and I yeah. realized that by, the food was the best way to make people happy. And I used to love cooking all the time because of the end product of having all my friends come and be around me and to see how you can affect other people's happiness with food. And I, I it wasn't until I was older that I realized that. Um, and that just what you said just really you know resonated with me because of that. So uh, I just yeah. wanted to share that. Thank you for sharing your story. Um, Very cool. Well, that, those are all the questions I have for you, Chef. Are there any questions you could have uh, add or you think would add value to this show? Or is there anything, like any final thoughts you want to drop on us before we sign off for the day? Well, I think um, there, you know, just to sort of cap off what I'm talking about in terms of the food we buy, restaurateurs, whether you're a restaurant that's doing 800 grand in sales a year, which is pretty small, or you're part of a company doing 50 million in restaurant sales a year. We, we're not out there on the street trying to change people's minds about the products we use by talking about it. Mm-hmm. But we are, we're voting with a lot of dollars. You know, we spend a lot of money buying food, and uh, you know, my cohorts around town that have, that have come along with the same philosophy, we spend a lot of money. So I urge people to get educated about their food. I urge people to seek really well-done things and to vote with their dollars and, and put their money towards uh, uh you know, products that are made with love and passion and care and hospitality and as few chemicals as possible. Awesome. All those reasons you just listed are the reasons why I only interview indie restaurant owners, uh, just because I agree with you that you have to uh, support these people that are passionate and that have, uh, you know, the that aren't doing it for the money, but they're doing it to, for the reasons you just listed. Um, so really great advice. Thank you. Who should my next guest be, Chef? Uh, talk to me. Who do you know? Who do you respect? And who do you think I should get on the show for the next episode? Mm-hmm. You know, I worked for a guy uh, a bunch of years in San Francisco and Sonoma. His name is Mark Stark. And he owns a bunch of restaurants now in Sonoma County. Uh, Willie's Wine Bar, Willie's Seafood, Monty's Steakhouse. Amazing guy. I learned so much from him. Um, just about demeanor in the kitchen and thought and fun and creativity. He's a great guy. I think you'd have a great interview if you got a hold of him. Mark, I'm coming after you. I hope you're listening to this episode. Um, I'm going to get you on the show. I'll do everything to uh, in, ask ask um, Chef Matt over here. I'm pretty persistent. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, thank you so much, Chef. Uh, how can we connect with you if uh, anybody who's listening to this show at home uh, is really resonating with what you're saying and wants to come work for you and they live in the San Diego area? How can they connect? Well, you can find us online. We have a a website called solacerestaurants.com, and that has each restaurant listed on it. You can go to each of them from there. My email addresses are on the websites, too, so um, you can find us that way and hope to see some people come eat in San Diego. Beautiful. Thank you so much for all of your time. You were incredible, a really great guest, and uh, I found a lot of value and just learned a lot just from listening to you today. So uh, awesome stuff. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Another great show here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Chef Gordon, you are awesome, dude. Um, some of the things I would like to talk about, and like always, you know, I like to use the end of the show just to recap some of the lessons learned. Uh, Chef Gordon talks about, um, you know, his if factor being having a core of optimism and uh, just being happy and upbeat. Uh, he says you need to have an ironclad heart of hospitality, and that's so true. Uh, in this industry, you know, we might work 95 hours in one week, so if you're miserable or unhappy, life is just going to be awful, and you need to have that optimistic view on life and to just be at your core happy. And the truth of the matter is um, we have the ability 
to choose to be happy. Uh, it's incredible human ability, uh, one of the human endowments just to be able to uh, hit a switch. If you're ever in a, a miserable mood, uh, just take a moment to stop and think about what you're grateful for, and you can easily just turn your mood around. Um, that's really cool. And uh, so just keep that in mind. Uh, it kind of brings me to... His advice to listen to fun, upbeat music is something we can use. Uh, it's incredible. Uh, just like food, whatever you put into your body um, will help you feel better. Uh, whatever content you put into your body, whatever you're listening to, if it's happy music and people are dancing and having a good time and all that will be expressed outward to the people around you. Um, so put good content in, whether it's uh, information or just music and that positive stuff you're putting in will be expressed outward. So that's just really powerful advice. He also brings up uh, the topic, or we discuss how you have to not take everything so to, you know personally into heart. When you have a customer that's not having a great day, like he says, they may have just came from a funeral and you don't know that. So you can't take things personally and you have to really be uh, optimistic and uh, have empathy and listen to what these people are saying. And it reminds me to what we learned from Steve Covey in his book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. One of the habits is you need to seek to understand before you seek to be understood. And what that means is listen, stop and listen and find out what the problem is and show these people that you generally want to know how you can help and how you can make things better. And if you take that time to listen, uh, and once you know their story and you can be empathetic and you can put yourself in their shoes, your ability to resolve that matter will be so much easier. So that's really great advice. Uh, and then one thing that really stuck out to me too, was his advice, uh, that, you know, how, that impression starts from the very beginning. And if you have a host that's not a friendly person and doesn't make, you know, eye contact and smile, it can just ruin you. And it goes even further. It starts with the, your valet. But the point that I would like to make that is that when you teach your people to, to be happy and to smile and to make eye contact, it has to be genuine and authentic. And he touches on that too. He, do, he does talk about his authenticity and the genuineness of uh, his people. Um, but just a little trick, a tool that I learned not too long ago, um, there, there's a, a northern um, tribe in Africa that uh, when they say hello to people, they say sawabona. And I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, but it literally means I see you. And tell your people, um, share this trick with them. And when they, when they see guests walking in, smile and look at them and have them say to themselves, I see you. And when you do that, you, you speak with your eyes, you speak with your, your body language. And when you're saying in your head, I see you, they will know that they, that they're being seen and that ability just to be noticed is so powerful and so strong. Um, so it's just really cool stuff. Uh, so use that little trick and that's everything I want to share with you today. If you like these podcasts, please su subscribe. It's easy to do. You can subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher radio soon to be SoundCloud and uh, you won't miss a single episode. And if you really like what you're doing and you want to support my cause, connect with me, tell me what, you want to know what products and services you're interested in, and I'll try to find out about them. Maybe get them on the show, and um, or maybe get a restaurant professional, somebody you admire in the industry. I'll get them on the show, and I'm here for you. Don't forget it. Also, five-star reviews help me so much with getting recognized and found out there in uh, iTunes land and Stitcher Radio, so don't forget that, and I would be extremely grateful if you gave me one of those reviews. And uh, that's everything, so uh, until next time, peace out.